Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. We're sitting here on a Tuesday evening, and uh, it's the beginning of April. Rian, I look out my window, and I see two things. I see, A, sun sets now at like 7.30, closer to 8 o'clock. It's just wonderful all around. And then I also simultaneously see that it's about to be like 85 degrees this week, and I'm not I'm not ready for that. I don't want that. I don't need it to be that hot. There's literally no need. Just 70 and sunny, please, and I'll be fine. Oh, and then I also see uh, Rian's ridiculous predictions coming true, but we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, that's my week so far. How are you doing? Oh, maybe I'm good. I'm good. All right. <laughs> no, no, I just was having trouble finding the mute button there. Um, no, Rian's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, no, pretty, pretty good. Um, been a, a good week so far. We had, uh, yeah, obviously, for you know, spoiler alerts here. We had the bombshell of a of a succession episode. Um, Are we allowed to say had, like what? Is it too early? No, no, it's been, it's been it's two it's two going on three days since since the episode aired. So I think yeah. this is more than enough. But uh, yeah, the. The whole Logan Roy death episode just un- unbelievably, like just just be art, just just unbelievably good. I I I can't say much more. Or like, it, I I don't know. I don't know if I'll be watching that episode again anytime soon because I, I I do like just kind of like letting it sit, whatever. But I and then the couple like TV podcasts that I listen to like do such great, like deep dives into it and, and I'm just gonna say I'm sad to lose that character that's good uh amazing actor amazing character like having watched like the uh Sopranos like finished finally finished the Sopranos last year like he's on that level with like, with, like Tony Soprano with like I don't know pick almost any wire character like think like Omar Heisenberg, Breaking Bad, like like it's like that kind of pantheon of uh of just unbelievable like American TV actors. Uh, even though not all of them are American actors, but like you get my point. Yeah, yeah, I could not agree more. Um, I I I told Rian this yesterday, but I was like legitimately in tears this past weekend over this episode, and it was the first time I think I ever felt this way about like a TV show in a very long time. Like I like really long time uh that i felt this way about a show so shout out to them and by the way i found this out literally right before we started recording apparently in the writer's room they decided to use the code word larry david um i don't like as as i guess a code word for like episode three because really? if you think about ld logan dies like that <laughs> that's probably what they had that's in mind nice. um but it was it must have been a really tough secret to keep so yeah i uh Shout out to Jesse Armstrong. I'll I'll say this. This is more for you and our audience as well. But Kara Swisher is one of my favorite journalists, and she used to work for Vox. She's part of the Vox mm-hmm. oh, yeah. media conglomerate. Um, she does a weekly podcast when Succession is airing. Yeah, and I, she brings on uh, like I listen. Oh, you know, I listen okay. to it. All right, <laughs> we're good. We're golden. Great. Well, uh, if, if, if people listening have not, yeah. not listened to it, fantastic. Like yeah. I, I listened to um. The one she did with Jesse Armstrong, I think I listened to it this morning. 
just brilliant insight. So shout out. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that episode has Lo- um, Brian Cox, who plays Logan Roy. It does. Um, at the end of it as well. Great, great stuff. Um, just, Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm truly in awe of, of this of this show. So, you know. Love it. So yeah, seven well, episodes left. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the crazy part. I know. Well, beyond that, um, I'll say this much as well. Um, Rion has, I can only, I don't know how I can phrase this in any way, quite frankly, but he must have an eye in the future. He must have some sort of time traveling, uh, like capabilities that we're not aware of. Cause, uh, we were talking about the champions league a little bit before we recorded. We actually talked about it before this round of games kicked off on Tuesday. Um, we're recording on a Tuesday evening. Spoiler alert again, Manchester City have beaten Bayern Munich by three goals to nil. Um, I'm ju- I, I have to give Rihanna a shout out for this. Like the, the, it, it actually is absurd. And just to quote Rian, uh, I, I'm trying to find the actual direct quote, to be honest. Quote, <laughs> definitely don't think it's likely, but I think there's a non-insignificant chance that City wins by three plus goals today. So, uh, look, we're not going to really discuss the Champions League. I just – and Rian didn't even know I was going to bring this up. But I just had to at least point out that uh, – should it should it have been Rian or Tom Stuckel on the bench for this, <laughs> this afternoon? No, I kid. We're, we're going to focus on the Premier League for the majority of this podcast. I, yeah. I do, I do want your like quick reactions from the from the game. Like, it's, it was it was quite astonishing. Even so, I I didn't I didn't think it would unfold like that necessarily. But I don't think any of us did. And honestly, I, yeah, I don't even think you did. To, to be fair, but quick yeah. quick reactions. So for, first off, in the other game, by the way, Inter winning two 0 against Benfica. Um, I believe it was Kesa and Lukaku who scored the penalty, make it two 0 Um, but focusing on City Bayern for a second. The biggest surprise to me was not really a surprise probably for most people, but there was a part of me that kind of thought like, you should probably have Kyle Walker on the field, even though Pep has kind of thrown him under the bus in the last like seven to 10 games. But clearly the John Stones midfield progressive experiment has worked. Clearly Bernardo Silva has four and a half lungs to him because there was no (laughs) need to necessarily have a Kyle Walker type profile on the field. And I thought, City's defensive structure against Bayern was impeccable. Like they were double teaming at any given point, some combination of uh, not Pavard, but it was usually like Leroy Sané or Musiala who were were basically like two of their probably most potent threats were almost always double teamed. And Riyadh, you pointed this out, but it comes largely from their 4-4-2 that they sat back in at times and just absorbed pressure. John Stones, Nathan Ake, Ruben Diaz all deserve like medals for yeah. that. Ak- Akanji as well, right? Akanji was, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like fantastic all around, to be honest. I was really, really impressed with I was more impressed with how City defended than they than they attacked. Like to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Like, agreed. Um like I the the back line was great, obviously, but the, but you already said it. Like Bernardo Silva playing like that right mid, um, especially like out of possession, was just so just worked so hard. Like, and and you understand why why he was starting that game instead of Mares. You just, you wouldn't have gotten the same defensive effort. Like 
Like, like you just wouldn't have. Um, and I thought that even City, like in possession, especially in the first half, they were every time Byron won the ball or we would get the ball back and try to run at City and try to progress the ball very quickly. Like, you know, they had success a couple times, but even when they were able to get past like that first line of pressure, there was always as constructed, there was always like four to five guys <laughs> there. Um, and, and they just couldn't really find space on, on counters at least. And man, just, just, un, just unbelievable. Like I think city could have been up by two goals probably in the first half, by the end of the first half, even. Um, and I thought Byron started the second half. Well, but, the, the open Meccano mistake and then I mean just uh, mistake is this a nice is, way to put it but like I'm, I'm he, so glad he capitulated for 30 minutes for the last 30 minutes of the match before you even say anything else I I have to touch on this point this is the type of tie and more importantly the type of game where if you do make two three critical mistakes it can not only define your season as a team but it can literally define your perception as a player. And I'm not saying Upamakano changes perception as a player. I think we're all still in agreement that he is a fantastic world-class center back. Like, I, I don't... Oh, I'm not. I, I, I've never felt that way about him, if I'm being honest. Really? <laughs> but, like, yeah. But but I, I never thought that his that. past... Like, his in-possession stuff was never something that I thought was... That was, no. was, was what I thought was his best... Was actually what I thought was his best qualities. I never thought that his actual defending was... Was I actually, I, I actually disagree with that because I, I mean, look. Granted, he's he's not a young defender per se. He's I believe twenty four now. Um, but his, I would say his strength, his positioning, and his pace are three really really important qualities that yeah, I, yeah. you kind of need in the modern game. And then I'll, I'll he, caveat that with yeah, he does have speed. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. give you that and strength. Well, <laughs> Like, I don't know if I'd agree with the positioning part, but... (laughs) My my follow-up point to that was going to be the player that offers you kind of the quote-unquote technical skill sets that you kind of think of in a a modern-day center back is his partner in Delict, right? That's kind of the the balance and the give and take, if you will, between a center back partnership. But Upamakano making those type of critical mistakes was unforgivable. I I don't think there's another way around it. I think it was unforgivable yeah. and probably cost them this tie. Look, no, I, I I didn't I didn't text you this, but um I did get a bit of a flash of PTSD because uh this is very similar to how I felt after Barcelona beat Liverpool three 0 at home. Um, of course, two very <laughs> very very different teams. Uh, just just saying that there was I, I believe it was. I don't know if it was Bernardo Silva again, but someone else missed a potential opportunity to get four. Um, and I was like, oh, Dembele missed a chance to get four too. Interesting. Interesting. So, of course, I, I kid. But, um, Rian, I, I think we're all in agreement that City are uh, <laughs> basically unstoppable with the caveat, I think you tweeted out, of Real Madrid's just stupidness and... Um, and whatever happens to Napoli tomorrow, quite frankly, against Milan, because they got torn apart in Syria, as we know. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, let this let's be a lesson to all again. Like, yeah, not <laughs> not crazy, not not a, not. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, 
but um, firing your coach that had already a chance to win a treble so and giving the next guy two weeks, less than two weeks to, to figure out how to play against Gray. I know he's, I know Tuchel's had success against the, but like two weeks with a new team against the only other side in Europe that you could say is better than you. Like it's, it's really different. That's just like, I, I, I just, yeah, whatever. I, I, I made my, my thoughts known on this before, but yeah, there wasn't, I just saw no reason to believe that Bayern could win this tie, giving, giving that, you know, two weeks with a new team, like against the, uh, against the juggernaut. Like, it's, 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 it's hilarious. It's, yeah, it's, um, that, that people, people will look very differently at that Bayern hierarchy now, I think. Which is probably great. This is probably uh, deserved. Completely agree, Ryan. Well, well, let's uh, let's move on. And talk about the Premier League because come next week we will be able to completely break down, dissect all of what happened in the Champions League quarterfinal rounds because they'll have been completed by then. So by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure Real Madrid will have played uh, Chelsea already, and we'll be talking about that in extreme detail, excruciating, painful detail for Rian, probably. <laughs> but Rian, let's focus on the, the game of the weekend. Yeah, I know I'm an ass, but I'm going to... I truly... There, there's... I, I mean, pain would mean that I was still feeling something <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we haven't even talked about the uh, the Frank Lampard coming back. That hasn't even been a topic of discussion on the podcast. It's been a topic of discussion offline. Don't you worry. <laughs> it's not been a topic of discussion here. Um, Rian, let's talk about the game of the weekend. Let's talk about what was and is historically a, a pretty, not feisty affair, but it's a, a high goal scoring affair mm-hmm. in Liverpool Arsenal um, played at Anfield. This game was really interesting to me. Um, it was the first goal, or Arsenal scored the first goal that Liverpool had conceded at home since December. And on top of that, this tie, I didn't know this until Sunday, um, actually almost averages like three to four goals per game over the last 20 or so years. So it is a a very, very high scoring tie um, that's mainly for Rian, whatever betting patterns that he undertakes, but I guess I digress. Um, This, this, this tie or not this tie, but this game, it, in the first half, it really felt like a battle of two teams who had switched places from last season. We're talking about a team in Arsenal who are what? 29 points above Liverpool now, Um, like something stupid. Um, And last season, I believe, Liverpool were 23 points above Arsenal uh, by the by the time the the season ended. That's a 50 plus point swing in one season, and yet this game ended with the draw at two two. So, Rian, let's start. What did you make of Arsenal's first half performance? That was clearly their their more dominant half. And then I want to talk a little bit about what you think maybe even went wrong for Arsenal or or why they. They look very much like on the back foot in the second half. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I thought that really less than the first half, really like the first 30 or so minutes, um, Arsenal looked great, right? Like they, they thought they were doing very well at uh, making it difficult for, for Liverpool to actually progress the ball forward. Liverpool 
they played Trent in basically like he inverted. He, he they played him like an inverted fullback role, which yeah, you know, first time I've seen it so like dedicated, like it's such a dedicated role for him in the team. Uh, and yeah, I just don't think it really worked out for them, and it kind of makes sense. He's not one. He hasn't done a lot this season. Two, you know. Arsenal's pressing was great anyway. And then three, like he's not really a center mid at all. <laughs> like he, he, he's, um, his best like passing qualities aren't necessarily like his link up play, right? We, we saw what his best call qual- passing qualities were the second half of this game, right? Like, like, but yeah. it, it's all about what he can do in transition and, um, and specifically like crossing as well, too, right? You actually just, on Trent specifically, you you saw mm-hmm. his best and worst qualities in the span of ninety minutes. Hundred percent. On that second Gabriel Jesus goal, or the second Arsenal goal, Gabriel mm-hmm. Jesus first, um, he was ball watching in like the most middle schoolish way. It felt like, and to your point, in the second half, you saw his best qualities. And go ahead, I'll let you. Continue. Yeah, yeah, but just like to stick on that that first half hour, you know, Arsenal out shooting Liverpool three to or five to three. But then past that, you could see it even in the last 15 minutes of that half. Arsenal don't get another shot. And Liverpool had like had some really good opportunities. They end up converting one of them. I thought even before Arsenal got the second, there's a couple chances where Salah goes is in one-on-one uh, and he just misses the net on one of them. Um, and there was a couple other opportunities for that Liverpool were able to actually get at Arsenal in transition. And I know that people really want to say like that one moment between um, Alexander Arnold and, and Xhaka like completely turned the whole game. But, but I really implore like, if you look at the highlights, like they, they did have a, some chances before that point, they just didn't score them. And, and yes, once Arsenal scored the second, like the crowd was very quiet and, and like for good reason. Like that, that goal was so, as you said, it was, it was some schoolboy type of defending, honestly. Um, but, but that was even brought on by like the just weird positioning that, that Trent was playing for, especially out of possession. Um, just, I <laughs> could say, I honestly would say it was man of the match for, for Liverpool, at least, like the amount of space that he had to cover because of Trent's positioning, and you see it on that second goal um, when Trent's like kind of like in almost like in the midfield sorts, uh, and just Martinelli's able to run into space, and Konate's like already anticipating that he's gonna have to cover this space, and he's, he's he goes out there, and at that point. You see it on the cross. There's just so much space between Van Dyke and Konate. And um, I know that you could probably ding Van Dyke a bit for not getting close to Jesus, but like, he's kind of in no man's land because the back line, it turned into like a back three, but not on purpose almost. And, and, and that's, and Gab just did a great job of, of finding the space and, and, um, and scoring a goal. But, I think that Arsenal just lost control of the game, like, and not not because the crowd got back into it after that incident, but they really tried to keep playing transitions, and 
and no one in, in their midfield really was standing on was trying to actually slow the game down and, and they tried to slow the game down in other ways you know dark arts like trying to <laughs> trying to like you know waste time they, they they tried to waste a lot of time um but they never got any control of the game after the first half hour and that's why i was like kind of screaming not like screaming but i was i was like <laughs> i was texting in our group chat <laughs> I was texting our group chat. I think I tweeted it too as well. I just really thought Jorginho should have come on in that game, um, especially at some point in the second half because he's the only player on their bench that would be the one to, when he gets possession, he would stop. He would slow it down. He'd play a lot of shorter passes. He would keep. The, he would really try to help keep the game um, at like a slower tempo, which Liverpool don't thrive on. Uh, and... I just thought that was a big mistake not to not to bring him on, uh, and especially when you think about like his experience as well too. He's played at Anfield. He's like he's he's been in these positions. He's played in very big games. Like it wouldn't have been something that he was not used to. Um, so I, I I thought that was a pretty big mistake. They never got control of that game again, and you can see it from like the last sixty minutes of the game from the from the thirtieth minute on. Liverpool outshot Arsenal eighteen to four. It, 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 you could see it that, that second half, especially it was just wave after wave, and um, and and those goals were coming really. Yeah, and the the part about Arsenal losing control is interesting to me because while I completely agree with you, I can't point to a reason why they lost control. So that to me feels and looks very self inflicted, and what I mean by that is Liverpool weren't pressing at a higher rate they weren't committing more men forward there wasn't anything intrinsic about liverpool that i looked at and said okay arsenal are giving up basically these forced errors they're losing possession through you know incomplete passes or misplaced passes it wasn't like that it was to your point forced transitions that often led to backtracking <laughs> and that's where you saw a lot of the time Liverpool's back line would pick up the ball. Trent would pick up the ball. We saw his progressive passive passing ability completely on display. Now, what's interesting to me is from a Liverpool standpoint, that back three that you talked about, you talk a little bit about how basically Van Dyke and Kanate like drifted away from each other over the course of this game. And I think the expectation, or maybe you have a different thought process or opinion on it, but I thought the expectation was that Fabinho would drop in between to cover that space, right? Whether it was on a cross or, uh, you know, a ball coming in from Saka to the top of the 18, right? To, to prevent those sort of uh, passes being made. I think what Liverpool have conveniently forgotten about is... Fabinho is, how do you tastefully say this? Not quick and doesn't necessarily have the legs to go up and down in the same way that, oh, I don't know, Amrabat could. <laughs> Just food for thought with uh, with defensive midfielders. Um, did you did you see that as a problem? Uh, like the, the way that Liverpool transitioned to a back three? Or did you see it differently? I, I, I honestly don't know what they were trying to do. That, like I, I, I honestly don't think that they were trying to play back three, but, but like I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make any 
sense of it because it wasn't like Trent was doing something consistent. He was literally just roaming. Like he was just roaming when they had the ball, and and, uh, and even without the ball, he it was. I I don't I don't know how to make sense of any of it. Like if if Abinio was expected to drop into that back line, then that's that is. That's, that's, I don't, that's hilarious. That is a hilarious idea to have. Like, I, that, cause that means that your thought is that you'd have, um, oh man, I'm really blank on who the three midfielders were other than Henderson and, and Firmino. Henderson, uh, uh, was it Harvey Elliott, I believe? And Fabinho? It, uh, I, I'm, I'm blanking on it. We'll oh, Curtis Jones. Curtis Jones. Oh. Curtis Jones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I just think if that was your if your plan, like out of possession, was for Trent to like play, I don't know, sweeper would would sweeper would mean that you're actually like doing some defending there. But he was just roaming, uh, just like Red Rover or whatever the hell, like, and, and and then expecting your midfield two to be Henderson and and Jones to cover for. Fabinho, like it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was actually their plan <laughs> because it just looked so stupid. Um, <laughs> so I, I'd like to think that wasn't their plan, but the alternative is again, like I said, like Trent having a completely free role and, and just, uh, just annihilating their defensive structure, like, like choosing willingly annihilating their own defensive structure. I, so I don't, but to answer your question, I don't know. I, I I can't make any sense of what they were trying to do defensively. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I could actually spend like a couple more minutes just talking about it because it was interesting to me see to see like some sort of like triangular rotation between Fabinho, Kanate, and Trent in between midfield and that right space, I guess, on on the defensive side. But I think the problem that they ran into was just actually knowing where each other were was were was something like that yeah yeah um, so that's probably why it looks silly like they didn't i don't think anyone really knew <laughs> who was where at any given time um so anyway moving beyond that point um Rian, this is also an interesting like game for from my point of view from an attacking output for for liverpool um i think it was a combined f- like 5.4 xg between um, both teams third most in a Premier League game this season Liverpool ca- accounted for four out of the 5.4 which is I believe the most that Arsenal have faced this season if I'm correct that might not be entirely it's gotta right, be well, it's got to I w- be I would assume, <laughs> like, I would assume. It, it has to be it's astronomical that's crazy I know the only exception is their most recent game against City that I could think of that could potentially be um, higher, but I four. No way, so. yeah. I, I don't. Oh, I don't no. even know for sure, but there's no way that City racked up more <laughs> in that game. Yeah. Well, I just double checked. It's almost twice as much as Arsenal has faced in the other league <laughs> game this season. So never mind. Um, but my my question here is, do you feel like, you know, the Sala, Gakpo, Nunez front three is here to stay and it will be a saving grace for them um for years to come or should we look towards other changes for liverpool kind of an attacking sense because because the reason i asked is because Firmino came on as he does against arsenal and seemingly scores <laughs> all the time yeah um, he was great he was great when he came on yeah 
Um, no, I. So they, I mean, they started the game with Jota, Gakpo, and and Sala. That's right, I forgot about that. I, yeah, I, I Nunez was, was back in half club. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> too. Like, you know, there's another world where Arsenal lose that game like four two. Like, it's, it's very conceivable. There's also a world where they win it three two at the end with with um with Martinelli just just not not getting the pass right to Saka. Right. And, and, and that's where I was like, oh man, last five, that's what I said. The last five minutes, I was just like yelling at everything and, and, uh, and, and not to sidetrack from your, from your question on that front three, but, uh, so I lost, I lost the Peacock stream the last, for like five to 10 minutes, uh, in the second half and had to find just like, uh, had to find a, uh, very legal stream and somewhere else. Un, the unspecified website um but that website was, was that street was showing uh was giving me the sky the sky sports one and they had gary neville and uh and Jeremy Carragher in the booth and those last five minutes they were also just like they were not human beings anymore <laughs> like like the 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 o's and, and the yells and, and um it was it was great it was great stuff um became fans again yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but that, now that front three, I, I'm still very unsure of the, f- of what Gakpo's supposed to be doing in this team. But, um, he, he doesn't look like a center forward. He, I think it's looked best when he plays on the left wing, but it's, it's still a little, it's a little tough to see what exactly like his, what the projection is for him with this, with this team. And, and I don't know if they quite know yet. Um, and then Nunez, I mean, kind of is what he, like, <laughs> I, I keep saying, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be basically like Timo Werner was for Chelsea. Cause that guy did create a lot of chances just from constantly running and making those runs in behind. And similar to Nunez, Underrated in terms of like the assists and the, the the creating chances for others like with their own feet. Like Nunez has a few assists this season himself, just because like when he gets in those positions, he still knows. He, even though he likes to shoot first, he still knows and is aware of like uh, the open man and and um and I think that's like kind of underrated with him. So I, I think Nunez kind of is what he is. I don't think that he's. I keep saying this like. There, there are guys who are just good at finishing. Like we talked about, uh, Holland's like innate ability with like, I said, with like his biomechanics when he shoots and, and getting to those positions as well. But, uh, and I don't think that Nunes has that same, I just don't think you have that. He has that same level of, of finishing ability. Uh, but he gets into great positions and that's, and he does things that really help the team. No matter what. So that's kind of where I am with him. He's he's an extremely useful, extremely helpful player to have on your team. Uh, even though he but you shouldn't rely on him scoring your he's he's never gonna score forty goals. Let's be like I, I respectfully, he's never gonna score forty goals in a season. He's not Holland, he's not gonna be anywhere close to Holland. In so. in fairness to Nunez, <laughs> and, and and while I agree with your underlying point that there are inconsistencies and there are things that this team does probably need to improve on, especially as it relates to that left wing position and whether Cody Gakpo fits into that picture. Um, in fairness, there are not many players in the world 
who would score 40 goals, let, let alone. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and, I'm being, and I know I'm being a little harsh with that, but, but like, I know, I know. But but considering that they fans. came in, they came in the same time for around the same fee and, and expectations are, well, expectations were definitely higher for Holland and he's smashed those expectations anyway. But, but like, um, considering position whatever they're very similar type of players he's just he's he's not gonna score you that many goals but anyway um i think just we have to also touch on the the arsenal side of this right like one all of the flowers in the world to aaron ramsdale because unbelievable like unbelievable last five minutes 20 minutes Like, like he was again if they if they end up winning the league and it's by you know a point or two. Then then we look we'll look back on this day and be like, he saved them. He's he won them the league. Um, and look, we have many. We still have about well, like nine or so games left. So there will be other opportunities for someone to be hailed as like the person who won the league for them. But but like um, those those saves in the last five minutes were just the definition of world class. Um, but I, I just the, the solo the solo save where the ball's deflected and it and, and it was going into the top corner, stunning. And and obviously the open the uh, Konate save. You did not. I almost said Upa Mikado. Yeah, I know. I I I almost said it because I was I literally was reading a tweet earlier about um people comparing the two of them when they were back at Leipzig and and when they got sold. Oh, okay, okay. I but anyway. Um, Understandable, but just know that if you if you were a Caucasian individual, we would have had a conversation. I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there, but continue. Uh, but but now it was it was unbelievable stuff from Ramsdale, and uh, that that that's like season defining stuff if they if they win the league, without a doubt. Um, if we are in the business of giving shout outs to goalkeepers as well, I'll go on a very brief tangent and give Ben Foster. Uh, shout out as well with mm. uh, with his save in the 97th minute for Wrexham to uh, to go on and win three two and go top of League Two. I guess it would be uh, no National League. We're, we're five National tiers, League. five tiers down. <laughs> yeah, apologies, apologies. Um, but yes, one of the things about um, I guess those last five minutes with Aaron Ramsdale that was just bewildering to watch was it. I, I don't know if I haven't watched enough Arsenal over the last five years or I don't know enough about Aaron Ramsdale. It very well could be the case. But I had never seen Arsenal rely so heavily on their goalkeeper in the last couple of seasons in just a, in a short period of time as I have Aaron Ramsdale. And maybe I should clarify that to say successfully relied on, on a goalkeeper. I think Burnt Leno had moments, absolutely. Um, and I think there were times where you could probably point to him saying, could he be Arsenal's number one? And I think some people probably would have agreed. But the way that Aaron Ramsdale has genuinely kept like points in play for Arsenal is probably going to define their season. Hands down, it's probably going to define their season. So if you are a Arsenal fan, um, I don't want to obviously jinx it or say anything, but probably towards the end of the season, you might want to write him a note. <laughs> that's, that's what I'll say. <laughs> uh, all right. Last thing on, on this game, at least 
<clears throat> your opinion for from an Arsenal point of view. Um, we know they're now they have, they're six points up on City, but game in hand. Uh, City, yep. This result, do you are you on the point gained or two points lost side of this? Um, I'm I'm on the two points lost side for sure. Um, you have to contend with arguably one one of if not the best team in Europe right now in Manchester City, and every point matters. This isn't a La Liga situation. Then it's not where you don't. This isn't a 13 point gap with 10 games to go. This is what likely will be a three point gap by the time City have completed their game in hand. I don't even know who they play, but let's just safely assume that that's the case. And you mean to tell me that if you're going in a mono mono like head to head battle over, I guess it's what eight remaining games now in the Premier League, um, mm-hmm. that Arsenal may not slip up once. And uh, yeah, no, no. In fact, the 538 odds, I believe, switched to Manchester City's favor after this result from uh, from under 50% to north of uh, 50%, I think closer to 54, 55% in terms of uh, likely to win the league as a result. So look, that game could have gone either way. So in terms of the result itself, you can probably look at it and say, all right, relatively fair. But in terms of the league and their position, it's two points dropped. Absolutely. Do you agree? Disagree? I I think I only disagree because I think they would have, I think before, before any of the goals are scored, before that match even kicks off, I think one point would have been fine. Uh, Especially like considering city did lose at Liverpool at Anfield earlier this season. So it's it's not necessarily that um, it's it's weird to look at it this way, but like the the matching the fixtures, it's it's not doesn't look as bad as as it does when you when you when you think about it. like obviously they they lost a two goal lead, so that's always going to feel bad. Um, but yeah, I know. I, I look it it puts it now in a situation where if either of these two teams, I'm talking about City or or uh, Arsenal, if either of them win the win out the rest of their games, then that team is going to win the league, right? Uh, I I don't think either team is going to win the rest of their games. It's, it's I know that it feels weird to say that about City right now, considering the run that they're on, uh, and considering what we know that a lot of players in this team have been capable of the last few years. And, and you wouldn't be surprised if City did win the rest of their games, right? But um, I just, I don't, I just don't think, I don't think they're going to both win the rest of their games. And I also think that even if, like, if they draw, even if they draw their game together, I think outside of that match, I st- still think that these two teams are going to drop to say, I think at least two points out, like for the rest of the season outside, like not including the game they play against each other. So I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going into the last day with, with it still kind of up for grabs <laughs> i kind of agree with that it is it is pretty up for grabs and just to put it everything into context right i actually forgot um they play each other at the end of the month which will obviously i mean be huge i don't think there's any way around it the part of my thinking about it being two points lost is also just looking at the schedules that both of these teams have city outside of playing arsenal i'm not going to include uh, this in any of this city play in terms of their hardest matches probably brighton 
and Chelsea, maybe debatably Brentford. Outside of that, they have West Ham, Fulham, Leeds, and Everton. Brentford's a tough so, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brentford, Brentford. Yeah, and that's why I would I would put Brighton, Chelsea, and Brentford in the probably the, mm-hmm. the tougher category. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everton, Leeds, West Ham, and well, maybe Fulham, but those four you would think City would win out. Yeah, um, and and, and then Leicester this weekend too. My goodness, they should just forfeit that one. Leicester should forfeit that one. They could kind of play the B team, knowing what's coming <laughs> at the week. But um, if you look at Arsenal schedules simultaneously. They play outside of City, of course. They play Chelsea, Newcastle, and Brighton uh, on top of playing City uh, as well. So, not, I appreciate not you throwing Chelsea game. in there, bro. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate everyone. That, that, I've heard it on other podcasts, too, people throwing in that Chelsea game as a potential slip-up. The only... But only <laughs> I will actually be upset if if I will be genuinely upset if Chelsea wins that fucking game. I'm gonna be really angry. I'm gonna be really angry if that if if that becomes like a, it's not even a fun battle of the bridge thing. The the title thing was was funny. That was funny and like actually yeah. great. I will be legitimately upset <laughs> at this one. <laughs> And partially because I do have money on Arsenal to win the league, and that, and and it would just be such a kick in the balls if they chose that day to start to actually put in a really good performance. It'd be, it would just absolutely murder me. No, in in the most in the most Arsenal way possible, it's going to be uh, on the last day of the what's it called of the, of the league season uh, against Wolves at the end of May. That would be the most <laughs> Arsenal way to do it, not against Chelsea. So, um. With that, Rian, do you want to move on and talk a little bit about top four and kind of how things look in the relegation zone in England? Yeah, look, we're we're starting to see a little bit of separation down there in the uh, in the elimination chamber. I feel like Crystal Palace have put themselves in a very good position after like a five-one win against Leeds, which was honestly like a breathtaking second half from Eze and Olise. Like those guys, like on their day, are just like I said, breathtaking. Like re- just ridiculously Phenomenal. good football. It's like <laughs> the 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 balance that each of those two have when dribbling a ball is 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 art. Is like literally art. So um, they put themselves in a great position. Two wins now in two with Roy Hodgson in two games where they were just dominantly better than the other side. Um, the first one, obviously, against Leicester. So they sit at 33 points. They're now six points ahead of, uh, Nottingham Forest, who are in, who are in 18th now. And I, I, I think that, I think that Palace with like maybe two more points are probably good. I think 35 probably, probably is safe. And so from there, we have, uh, Wolves who won against Chelsea on an amazing goal by Mateus Nunez, um, in, in Lampard's first game back and, um, really, really great game from from uh, Wolves, like midfield specifically, like uh, Joao Gomez, the player that I did not know much about until that game. I think they brought him in on in January. Uh, he was fantastic. And they were they were great. They're, they're on thirty one points. West Ham, who lost five one to to Newcastle in the middle of the week, um, and then beat Fulham on Saturday. Uh, they're sitting at 30 points in 14th. Bournemouth at 30 points as well. They beat Leicester 
Leeds, obviously just talked about them. They're in 16th now with 29. Everton with 27 after their loss to Manchester United. And then you have Forrest with 27 as well. Leicester at 25 and, and Southampton at the bottom with 23. Leicester are sinking like a stone. I mean, I, I had them in our in our early season predictions as like the, the most disappointing team that I expected. Again, <laughs> did not expect them to be in relegation, a relegation candidate at any point, but <laughs> they look dire. They just really look extremely poor. And you think about like the... I think the kind of catalyst of all of this of this fall off really um one one could save Jamie Vardy getting older for sure but you know I guess I would have expected Pat Sindaka and Ianacho to step up for sure but Wilfred Ndidi going from 2 years ago 2 3 2 years ago yeah let's say he was the only guy I thought was on Ngolo Kanté's level like in the in the, in the Premier League at least um, as a defensive midfielder in terms of how we could tackle and interceptions and, and how good he was at, at that. And he's completely fallen off and he's older, of course. So that, so that kind of leads to a lot of it. I think that's a big reason as well as not having Telemans for a lot of the season too, right? It's injury. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Not, not having Telemans alone is a massive miss. Um, mm-hmm. But the one thing about Ndidi that I'm glad you brought him up, this is a, a player in the 2019-2020 season had 6.5 tackles and uh, tackle slash interceptions a game, 8.1 duels per game, uh, to now 3.6 and 3.8 in each of those categories, respectively. Um, I think injuries too are a big part of that, right? Like hundred percent, yeah. Has to be a big, big, big factor. Yeah. Yeah, look, he was a guy that we had in like our team of the year. <laughs> like when we did those a couple of years ago. So um, that's what's looking like at the bottom in the top four: Newcastle and Manchester United picking up wins. Looking like that's probably the most likely third and fourth place. I know that Tottenham's only three points behind, but Newcastle and Manchester United have games in hand on Tottenham, and Tottenham really just got a gift of a win this past weekend against Brighton. I, uh, look, we hate talking about refereeing, uh, and I hate, and, and I'm never one to feed into conspiracy, whatever, but I'll just put it this way. If I wanted to fix a game, if I really wanted to fix a match, I would have been the VAR in that Brighton and Everton game, Brighton, uh, South, uh, Brighton Spurs game. I, just, you know, if I wanted to fix a match. It's it's like like OJ Simpson wrote a book after after the whole Nicole Simpson to let's say incident. Um wrote a book called If I Did It. And you know what? This is this game, this this Brighton and Spurs game is a good like if I did it, if I wanted to do it, I would uh take away two goals on handballs that I've seen the replays like two to three times on each of them. I was watching the second one, the Danny Welbeck one live. Still can't see an angle where it looks like there's an actual reason to take a goal off. And then, you know, I would, uh, after looking at the most obvious replay of someone getting stepped on in the, in the penalty box, I would not even ask. I would literally take a minute to say, yeah, that looks fine. So <laughs> not a conspiracy theorist over here, but. 
if I were to fix a game, it would look a lot like that. <laughs> Normally, in your in your rants, which I will call this a rant, I can usually decipher an episode title from that. I cannot use "if I were to fix a game" as an episode title, so I'm not going to use that. <laughs> but that's gold. Um, yeah, look. The FA, I believe, came out after the game basically apologized to Brighton. Um, I, I'll stand corrected if it was not specifically the FA, but um, it was either the referees the slash union. PDMOL, which some acronym that stands for like the Referees Association of yes. sorts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, they basically already apologized to Brighton over oh, just horrible mistakes. Um, Not the first time that they've apologized to Brighton specifically this season, by the way. I think there's been at least like five of these official like apologies. It's, um, I don't know. I, I, I generally don't know what, what they're doing with the, I don't know what the thought process is of using the VAR. I don't really understand what the threshold is anymore. I, and I I generally think they should have someone who does not who is not a soccer referee run the v, run their like VAR operations like literally just get someone who's an NFL who's, who worked in the NFL for a long time and did instant replay and just have him just have him do it just have them do it right? like, <laughs> it, would, it would come out with the same result at the end of the day but I um. We, look, one of the things that we should do over the summer when uh, there aren't as many tournaments, I believe it's just the Women's World Cup, um, we should talk about VAR in more detail. Um, so I'm sure we'll do something like that. But, Rian, if you have uh, to pick your... I hate talking about refereeing so much. I, I know. <laughs> you, got, you got a better idea over the summer, especially in, like, June? Yeah, I already, I already, I already threw it out there on Twitter. Just, I will do it for free, dude. I will literally do it for free. <laughs> I'll look at, I'll, you just, all they need to do is send me clips. Just literally DM me the clips you want me to look at. And I will tell you in 60 seconds or less whether you should change the, the call or not. <laughs> it, it just can't I be this pay, hard. I would, <laughs> I would pay good money. I really would. I would pay good money to see this. Um, gosh, where were we? We are talking about relegation. My last question was just going to be pick your bottom three and your top top four um yeah the, uh, bottom yeah I, I think top four uh, i'm gonna say it is what it is right now arsenal city newcastle and and uh manchester united bottom three i think there are four teams that i feel very strongly that that they will that they could go down um or like the most likely to go down i should say i think it's Leeds, Forest, Leicester, and Southampton. I think I'm Everton get pulled into that too. I'm but really surprised. yeah, I'm surprised you didn't put, pick Everton over Leeds. Actually, um, only reason the only thing with Everton, I, I they look so much more competent than any of those other than those four teams. Like it, I, I know they lost. They they look very incompetent against United. I will say that. But um, quality of opponent. Yeah, but you know, in the time that that uh Daesh has been there th like they are way more stable than those other teams I think um so I, I not not to say that I don't think that Everton could go into the last day either in the relegation zone or very or possibility of going down but I I think that those other four teams I mentioned are worse than them that's fair 
Yeah, and I'll say that's just about United because it's relevant to, uh, I guess, top four in relegation. Bruno Fernandez looks better to me in um, kind of that deeper role that he played in, like, uh, against Everton. But at the same time, Everton were just all over the place. Yeah, another so much time. Look, another another team. Look, both both Liverpool area teams. I watched their games and I was like, "What are you trying to do defensively?" I cannot understand it at all. It was. I mean, United had twenty one shots in the first half. Like, that's not normal. Yeah, that's not like, oh, we just yeah, they just outplayed us. That's like we we were broken. We were completely broken. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Well, listen, I if I speak, I'm in big trouble as it comes to uh, to United. I already talked about how they actually might not be that good of a team <laughs> right now last week. Um, so I'll I'll hold my uh, my breath. And I know you're talking about Everton. But anyway, um, top four, top three or sorry, top four, bottom three selected. The only other thing, Rian, that I wanted to touch on. That is not in uh, in England, and then we'll we'll wrap up. We don't have to have too much of a conversation about it, but arguably the game of the season was played in Spain this weekend with Villarreal beating Real Madrid uh, ahead of, of course, Madrid's uh, big big tie in the Champions League against Chelsea. Um, Chukweze, the Nigerian prince himself, um, finally showing a stride of consistency. Five goals, three assists in his last seven games after only starting, I believe, two games in the beginning of the season under Unai Emery, who, of course, we now know is at Aston Villa. Um, I could talk about this game for forever, but the one thing I just want to throw out there is some context for Madrid. We're talking about a team that's 13 points behind Barcelona for, for first place, but we're also talking about a team now that's only two points above Atletico. And... Atleti, just to put this into context, have won the title 10 times in the history of La Liga. They finished above Real Madrid 16 out of 84 possible seasons, which means that they've only finished above Madrid six times without actually winning La Liga. But here's the crazy part about this. Under Diego Simeone, they, if they do finish above Real Madrid, Atletico will have finished above Real Madrid five out of the nine, last nine seasons. That's insane, insane production for a team under under Simeone, who, yeah, he's completely changed the the trajectory of this club. So I'll just I'll, I wanted to leave on that note. Uh, it's unbelievable. Spain. I mean, uh, yeah. that might have been the second best team in in Spain since the World Cup, right? Like, oh, by, by oh, far, like arguably, by far. arguably the first. Arguably, yeah, arguably, yeah, 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 one hundred percent. So, um, kind of hit their stride a little late, but I completely agree with that sentiment. So. Anything you want else you want to wrap up on before we inevitably have to watch your team lose? <laughs> I'm I'm going, yeah, I'm going yeah, genuinely three yeah. 0 tomorrow. So oh goodness, yeah. I mean, it's at the Bernabeu, so that that'll be no fun. <laughs> that'll be fun. Um, yeah. And look, and I saw they didn't they didn't start Cruz or Modric in that game um, against why. against Villarreal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those men cannot play two games in four days anymore. So, so it was a good call. Um, yeah, no, that, that's that's pretty much it. Look, at, uh, it'll be interesting. Ingolo Conte played or started even the not the Wolves game, but the game before that against Liverpool looked very close to normal Ingolo Conte. And and I texted you a couple weeks ago that, and this was pre Potter firing, honestly. So I have. God, literally, God only knows 
what the lineup, what the formation will be tomorrow. Uh, but that's it's a very, very interesting game if you see uh, N'Golo Conte starting in the midfield there. Um, so I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it that way. It'll be, the midfield battle will be interesting. Um, the finishing battle will be not interesting for, from, from my point of view, but it'll uh, be hilarious to me. So I don't know where you're on about, but yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, yes. But, um, no, no, I think that's pretty much, I think that's pretty much it. We can wrap it up there. And, uh, All right. Well, in got that a couple, case, we got John, a couple days. We got a couple days to sit back and relax and enjoy the fun. Uh, we'll be back next week talking everything about the Champions League, everything about uh, the top leagues. I think the interesting part is going to see uh, who makes it, obviously, to the semifinals at this point, because uh, I'm a little bit more wary about Milan versus Napoli now after what I've seen over the last two weeks. So, No, you are. <laughs> this is the Osman might watching. not even play tomorrow, man. I'm, I'm... No, he's not. He's not. Oh my he's god! Not. So yeah, I, I, listen. All I'm saying is, uh, sometimes it pays to not bet. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll leave you with that thought, Rian. Thank you as always, everyone, for listening or watching, and or uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>